Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Peko Banyaya is the 2023 MotoGP World Champion after being the 2022 MotoGP World Champion, having converted the big advantage that he had coming into this weekend into his second title, just as I think most of us expected. His path there was certainly not anything like we expected it, probably. Although, who knows with us. I'm Valentin Haringi. With me is Simon Patterson. We are in the Valencia Media Center. Uh, regular host Matt Beer is indisposed today, as, as usual. Standing host Glenn Freeman, you'll have to forgive us. It was an insanely, insanely difficult weekend on, on all fronts. But a rewarding weekend, a wild weekend. But I, I certainly see in Simon's face right now that he's, he's glad to be done with the season. Is it my cold dead eyes at this point in the night? It is. It is literally cold. Um, sitting in the Valencia Media Center, it has. Yeah, I forgot how dark it gets so early in Valencia at the end of the season. Um, and and I somehow ended up coming into the media center this morning when it was dark, and now we're still here when it's still dark, um, which is less than ideal. But unfortunately, that is racing at Valencia in basically December. And, and if we've learned anything from today, it's that it's a terrible, terrible idea that basically played out on track all day, didn't it? Yeah. It is a t- terrible idea in a, in a certain way from a spurt, certain perspective, I guess it was also an, an awesome idea because this, this weekend did not offer us a second of respite. But before we get into its minutia, it's, it's endless minutia. Let me ask you this question, Simon. Who do you think deserved this MotoGP world title? Well, the guy who won it, 100%. Paco Bagnaia proved, uh, like completely conclusively this evening that he deserved the title he no that's not fair he didn't prove this evening he proved for the course of the entire season um i've said it before in the podcast i've said it a lot in person to people over the last few months that he has consistently been the best rider in this championship for the entire year he's not always been the fastest rider but fast and, and best aren't the same thing um he's been the guy who's been managing races as opposed to necessarily winning them he's been the guy who has been aggressive when he needs to be as opposed to being aggressive all the time uh he's the guy who has absolutely like there is no one i think yeah yeah no there's no one in MotoGP gp right now who's better at tire management tire conservation um he as he proved again today um he is arguably one of the hardest guys i've ever seen to pass and you know over the course of this weekend over the course of uh, a sprint race and a main race in Valencia, we pretty much got a full demonstration of, of all of Bagnaia's abilities. Um, and, and the end result was that in a weekend where, you know, he came in with a championship lead that was comfortable, even if no one was saying it out loud. Uh, but he used, you know, he kind of turned around the comfortable championship lead into a massively bigger one by forcing, forcing Jorge Martin to kind of do what Jorge Martin does. Um, it was one of those weekends where he, he had to win it or bend it, and he, he bend it. Um, and, and But, you know, we saw it coming because he'd already made mistakes when he crashed. He was already riding ragged, and that's kind of what he does. 
Um, he he's not the mature, complete package yet that Paco Bagnaia is, and and that's why Paco won the title. In a way, this this round was sort of the microcosm of the second half of this very long championship that we've seen. It's almost felt like the second half has been an entirely separate championship, different to what we saw in the first half, right? And we saw we saw Peko's sprint issues. We saw Peko's control on Sunday. We saw Jorge Martins inspiring, I think, grid-leading pace in a way. And we also saw Jorge Martin make, make errors. Um, would you say that over the course of the season, trying to look back through it, I've asked you who deserved it more. Who do you think was the fastest rider? I think, well... Statistically, Paco, mm-hmm. it might not seem it, but Paco was the fastest rider over one lap. Mm-hmm. He, he romped to the BMWM BMW award. You know, yeah. he cleaned that up completely, which even if he hasn't been the quickest guy in the world come the second half of the season, although, again, it's worth noting that this weekend he did start the races in P1, even if he didn't qualify in P1. One of, some, one of them. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. yeah, he might not have qualified in P1, but he started in P1, yeah. and and he, he did those typical Paco starts um, from both of them. He... Has, I mean, he's not he's not gelled with sprints. He he's been okay in them. He's won sprints, yeah. but he's not clicked with sprints, which is kind of exactly what we expected because yeah. that's his strength. His strength is that race management that we talked yeah. about. So it's not a surprise that he hasn't dominated them the way that you know Mister Qualifying, Mister Pole Position, Mister Early Lap Crazy Pace Jorge Martin has. Um, he has definitely been the fastest guy in the sprints, but. On a Sunday afternoon, at the end of a race, which is when the points are handed out, yeah, yeah. Um, Bagnaia has been the fastest guy in the championship. This, this this format isn't the best for riders who sort of build themselves over a weekend, but I think what we've seen repeatedly over and over again is that there is nobody in this paddock quite like Bagnaia who's quite as good as getting themselves out of a dodgy situation come Friday, out of a not-so-comfortable situation. There's maybe not a guy who is more benefiting from every second of the track time that he gets, is how I would put it. Because I think, look, if we, if we show, showed up on Fridays and the races were run on Friday, I mean, he'd be, he'd be probably more competitive than he right now is on Fridays, but it'd be, it'd be Martin's championship, I think, pretty, pretty conclusively. But Pecco, we, we kept seeing it again and again and again, that even if he looks sketchy and if he looks dodgy, even on Friday, even on Saturday in the sprint, where apparently, you know, he picked the medium rear tire, which didn't quite work for anyone. I mean, he still salvaged the result that he needed, the, the minimum result, basically, because a pair of fifth is what he always needed, and yeah. that was a fifth place. But he didn't. they didn't quite fully nail that. And then for Sunday, they came out, and they were exactly as strong as they needed to be, and they were stronger again, and it just keeps happening. But I also think, you know, I asked that question about being fastest, and it's, it's so tempting to say Jorge, right? It's so, so tempting after all all of the these last rounds that we've watched but it's also you know those early rounds they counted just as much and it's it really is not a statistical aberration that Paco Bagnaia won the BMW M Pole award and that in the early season when he was making those weird Sunday mistakes it, it was the sprints bailing him out he's not the perfect rider and maybe next year will be tougher from all fronts especially the way momentum has gone but he is an all-rounder and I think that's that is an important thing to know. I, I actually think he's pulled the momentum back a little bit in the last few races. I think he's got more back into his stride um, as the sort of the, the second half of the season has restarted and carried on. Um, there has been less stupid mistakes. He's he's at a tough time of it um, with injury and with you know with a bike that 
kind of refused to work for him for quite a while. You know, how long did he complain about those those front feeling issues and breaking and his inability to ride the way that uh, the way that he wanted to? And in those issues comes out his other big strength of this year, because. I think if Martin had been having those issues, his head would have fallen off yeah. and he'd have been crashing out of like 12th place. Whereas Paco just stayed calm and he was like finishing third, fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. not the end of the world, solid points in the bag, got him to the finish line. Um, you know, that that has been a massive advantage. Um, and, and because he got those issues fixed, he's got back to his form. He ended the season on the ultimate high by winning the last race and the championship in the process. He's going to, I think, go into next winter, or go into this winter and into next season, back where he was 12 months ago, basically, when we all expected him to walk this championship. I think the only reason he hasn't walked the championship this year Mm -hmm. has been because the sprint races have rattled him a little bit. Not the sprint races themselves, But the shorter, compressed weekend format that gives him less time to do that thing that he does, where he yeah, builds yeah. into a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, he's if if this had been a normal championship, I mean, we know already if this had been a normal championship without sprint races, he would probably have won the title two rounds ago in Malaysia. I think the reality is, if this had been a normal championship without the sprint races, he'd have won the championship in like Thailand because he would have just been in a better position. Let's go over some of the weekend because obviously we began already. Friday was maybe more fun than it had any right to be, with you know with Jorge Martín electing to follow Peco in the closing runs of what we what we can describe as Q zero. It's always Q zero, but in that case, after a late red flag, it was basically effectively almost formally Q zero, and Peco didn't necessarily seem rattled. He just seemed the the Friday Peco, but it was it was funny to see Martín fairly unapologetic about it and I you know fair play to him on that on that regard because he needed to deploy every trick up his sleeve within the rule book basically and within proper safety which it was safe enough even if he took to the runoff at one point to follow Peko but it was you know had to do what he had to do but then obviously on Saturday once they went into qualifying and it you know the whole weekend and even going into the qualifying it looked like Martin had more and I think he did have more. Have more. But Peko made it through to Q1, and Peko, whatever pace he had, he extracted. And Martin just f- fumbled lap after lap after lap in with Mark Marquez in his wheel tracks. So being a bit of a nuisance, but just, just couldn't couldn't get it together. But it was also, I think, a front tire discussion or something. What would you make of, of all of that pre-races dynamic? So um, it says a lot about both this weekend and this season that Friday feels like. It was like Portimao time. It does. It, it feels really does. forever ago. Um, I mean, th- there was people making comparisons to what happened in in qualifying qualifying zero mm-hmm. on Friday between uh, Martin and, and Bagnaya to what we saw in like the Moto three race in Qatar, where people were like deliberately getting in the way of each other. And and I, I get the comparison to an extent, but th- the thing that kind of made it okay was the fact that. Martin was completely apologetic about it afterwards and that he basically said we have to play mind games we yeah. have to try and this is the only way I can pull back a 21 point lead and he's not wrong yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. fair play to him for at least coming out and saying mm-hmm. that it is part of the game yeah. and he did it in as clean and as fair a way as it's possible to be unclean and unfair which yeah, is yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, 
yeah, he rattled him. Or he tried to rattle him. Mm-hmm. I don't think it achieved an awful lot on Friday. Um, I suspect not. No. I, I, and you know, the reality of it is, whenever we watched Q1 and then into Q2, I think the Q1 experience is mm-hmm. what put Bagnaia in the front row. Yeah. Because he just, he mastered, like he smashed Q1. He delivered, it's not his first time in Q1 this year. Yeah. It is by far one of the best Q1 performances I've seen of the season mm-hmm. from any rider. Um, from the way that he managed it, the way that he timed his laps, the way that he ensured he had clear yeah, track yeah, yeah. time. Masterclass. Uh, then he went into Q2 and basically did the same thing he all did, over again. He did the same lap time, effectively. Yeah. It was yeah, very yeah. similar. It was like maybe a few thousandths ahead, yeah. but it wasn't very... But it was the same format yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. With, yeah, yeah. You know, he was yeah. getting his own space, staying out of the, the mess, and you know, Martin can't say anything about Mark Marquez following him after what he did the day before. Yes. It was a taste of his own medicine. And, and obviously... You know, to go back to what we've already said, Peckle dealt, dealt with it better than Martin did. Yeah. And that is testament to what why Peckle is now a double MotoGP world champion, because he managed it better. Um, yeah, it, it, I didn't see anything unfair from anything that any of them did all weekend um, to build up to that sprint race. Um, Martin claimed he had an issue with the front mm-hmm. tire. He claimed the wheel was unbalanced, which is not impossible, but it's a rarity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big rarity mm-hmm. and to be perfectly honest <sighs> blaming the tyres for everything that goes wrong is kind of becoming Martin's forte at the minute and it's not winning him any fans well we should we should say that today actually and this is this is jumping a little bit ahead but today Jorge Martin was asked the, the moment or the two moments that lost him the championship and he did not take the opportunity to talk about the Qatar rear tyre. The two moments he mentioned were self-inflicted. The yeah. Indonesia crash in the Australia insane software tyre choice, which I think, you know, kudos at least for, you know, while the Michelin investigation that has not found any manufacturer fault so far, while that's ongoing, kudos for not really trying to play more into that. I don't know how convinced they are by that explanation. I, I can't imagine that Martin suddenly thinks that he just cooked the tyres himself because... Even if that, I don't know if I believe it, I don't know if I don't believe it, it's hard for me to, to have any certainty on that right now. But what I think I do know is that I can't believe that Martin believes it. But he didn't bring it up. And I think I think that's impressive. I, I think whether or not the Qatar, haven't spoken to Michelin all weekend about this, whether or not the Qatar tire was good or bad, his early race antics mm-hmm. in Qatar certainly contributed to okay. making it worse. You know, so yep. and, and I think he's probably at least aware of that now yeah, that things have cooled down a little bit, um, and that's why it's not really factored into that conversation about where everything didn't go right this year, especially when you know he made a couple of spectacular yeah. messes. So we, you had a lot of discussions with people on on Twitter, as you do, as, as, as happens, do. yeah, um, about whether Fanyai was being protected by fellow Ducati riders through the weekend and I think that even continued on Sunday once the title was already decided can we get the official Simon Patterson line on whether Pekka Banya is being protected well I mean the, the argument is almost moot now because anyone who watched Fabio Tijentonio in the last lap it should be absolutely yeah, certain yeah, yeah. that no one was protecting yeah, him yeah, yeah. none of the Ducati yeah. riders were protecting him um, Valencia anyone who's listened to the podcast for any length of time will have heard me moaning about why I don't think Valencia is a great place to yeah. end the season because it's a hard place to track to yeah. pass it's a hard track to overtake on mm-hmm. issue number one issue number two it's difficult to overtake on a MotoGP right, bike right now aerodynamics redhead devices everyone exits the corner perfectly 
and the Ducati that he had behind him primarily for most of the weekend in races was Fabio Di Antonio. Yes. Who's on an older bike that's not as good. Mm-hmm. And I know it's 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 you don't always see that it's not as good, but I think watching him exit watching Bagnaya exit the last corner and then watching Di Antonio exit the back cor- last last yeah, corner, yeah, yeah. it is apparent that they're not one is not as good as the other. The um the way that the the factory bike was able to just accelerate out yeah, of the turn. Yeah. There's a massive advantage there that just meant that, mm. that Martin or that Di Gentonio wasn't close enough on the straight to put in a slipstream pass. Yeah. And then there's the third factor that is that Peko Bagnaya is an excellent defensive rider who is really, really good on the brakes. Like probably the best guy on the brakes in MotoGP right now, maybe. Uh, probably the best Ducati on the brakes, yeah. at least on the first touch of brakes when you're looking to set up a pass. So th- th- there's no, you need to be either super, super aggressive, like super aggressive, or you need to be lucky to make an overtake on a mistake. He didn't make any mistakes. He didn't leave any doors open for anyone to go through. Yeah. And really the only person that we saw like try to put one of those hard passes on him all weekend was Fabio Quadraro in the sprint race on Saturday, and he crashed doing it. That that is the proof that no one was protecting him. It was just really hard to pass him this weekend. For, for, for what it's worth, I, I'd say my view is, I I would have really I can't imagine the situation where Marco Bezzecchi goes through on him on on Saturday, Bezzecchi specifically because of you know not only the, the their joint VR forty six link, but also. They're very good friendship. They're yeah. one of the closest pairings on the paddock, you would argue, in terms of riders. Um, Digi is different. I mean, obviously, he would have been loath to to pull a move that, in any way, shape, or form, results in a collision, a hundred percent. But that's you know, that's. It's also worth noting that all of the people who were happy to criticize Digi Antonio and Bezeki for for supposedly playing rear guard for Bagnaya kind of ignored the fact that after the race last week, Johan Zarco straight up said that he was helping his yeah, teammate yeah. and was going to do it again. So even if that was the case, and I don't think it was, mm-hmm. it works both ways. Then, you know, it was funny to see you hear Alicia Spargro on, on Saturday say that, you know, Banyaya wasn't being attacked, but but that's fine because I wouldn't have attacked Martin. Alicia Spargro and Jorge Martin are very close they, friends. They but have it is, like each other's names tattooed in themselves. <laughs> close. It is also important to remember that they ride for, for two different manufacturers. So there's there's two things at play here. There's manufacturer allegiances or whatever, but then there's just interpersonal relationships that clearly play a certain role at this stage of the season. I think it, it was also made to look maybe a bit more skewed than it was by the fact that Martin was having hard passes mm-hmm. put on him. But if you were to pick two guys in MotoGP who yeah. were going to make super aggressive passes and not care about the title race, it was Brad Bender and, and Mark Marquez. Yeah. And he just happened to find himself racing against Bender and yeah. Marquez. So that, that made it look worse. But I think the vast majority of riders just do not want to be involved in a title championship fight. They do not want to get stuck into it. That's none of their business. We'll do what, you know, if there's an opportunity to pass, we might take it. But you know what? Let's, let's not get our hands dirty here. Then you go on social media, you look at your mentions, and I imagine. It's the sort of thing that lives with you. Yeah, Man, of course. Mark Marquez still gets accused of, of basically rear-gunning for Jorge Lorenzo yeah. here in 2015. He's still hated by people for that. It sticks with you. Yeah. Eight, eight years on from that, how time flies, except this year has felt like has felt like eight years. Martin, Martin's title challenge, did you believe 
after after Saturday, particularly. Satellite teams don't win MotoGP yeah. Rider Championships. Right. Um, I've I've never been convinced, really convinced, mm-hmm. which is, is yeah. again is pretty apparent if you've been listening to this. Um, after Saturday, it was done. Mm-hmm. I was I was like adamant that it was done. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't see a way. Um, because and you know it's funny we were looking through uh, one of my friends in one of our friends group chats um, like ping reminded me of something I said on Saturday where uh, I, I, I said after the sprint race and you know that um, the only way that Peko was going to lose the title was if Peko made a mistake yeah. and that it wasn't going to be Peko that made a mistake on yeah. Sunday it was going to be Martin yeah. which is exactly what yeah. we saw in the end I, and I'm, I'm not saying that to make myself sound smart because I predicted the future it's just it, it's based on the evidence of everything we've seen from the two of them this year one of them is more prone to being super aggressive and had to be super aggressive yeah, and that's that, important yeah no 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 the context is that he yeah. had to do what he had yeah. to do that, that's you know but but he was on the back foot because of it, and it ended the way it ended. I, I don't know if he was going to do it, but Jorge Martin basically had to, you know, he had to overtake Becker right away, and then he would have had to do a Jorge Lorenzo 2013 tribute act, where he would have had to just try to back Pecco into the pack, like Jorge Lorenzo did with Mark Marquez that year for half a race yeah. before giving up, and, you know, going on to win the race and allowing Mark to, to win the title, because the, the only way Jorge Martin was going to win the title today is if he wins the race, and something happens to Pecco, yeah. and you might as well try to to help that happen in the most legal way that you can. Um, obviously, didn't quite get to Jorge Martin taking the lead unless you count those brief moments he spent in the runoff <laughs> at turn one as, no. as being in the lead. No, that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, so at that point, it was game over, pretty obviously. Yeah, it was. Then it became game over officially game over, if you like, when Jorge Martin, after overtaking Alex Marquez and Maverick Vinales, who, brief side note, you know, I go on tangents and apparently I do have an energy in in me for a tangent. We we heard from Jorge after the race and he was, you know, he was, it was a good chat. He was, you know, magnanimous and he was reflective and interesting. Um, the one thing he said was that he didn't understand why Maverick Vinales was fighting him so hard because Maverick Vinales was fighting for sixth and Jorge Martin was fighting for the championship. Man, I don't know what you expect. That's that's not really how this works. It, her, Maverick Vinales was fighting for top Aprilia in the championship. Yes. Him and him and yeah. Alicia went into the race yeah. equal on points. He was fighting for something. And to him, it's just as important. And you know what? I, I mean, I hate to say it, but Jorge, tough shit, man. Yeah. That's racing. That's how it I works. I agree 100%. And like, we've given Maverick a lot of grief this weekend in our discussions because he picked he picked the medium rear for the sprint that didn't work and then he was the only one to pick the soft rear for the longer race that didn't work making it like those those names of the tire compounds don't don't mean this don't really equate to this but he was well within his right to to fight for his position obviously so I think if Martin expects Vinales to pull away to pull aside and to just let him go then I think that also explains why there's maybe an expectation on his part that none of the fellow Ducatis were going to do anything about Banyaya but I, especially with an employer of a rival manufacturer I just I, I don't see how you can expect something like this finally so it ended in the Jorge Martin Mark Marquez collision I say it ended we had a great race after that but the championship the 2023 season ended with with that collision um, how do you feel about it? I mean, 
Martin was being really aggressive against a really aggressive writer, and the two of them ran out of road together. Yeah. Um, I I think he was, to be, to be perfectly honest, he was quite magnanimous in defeat afterwards. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was particularly magnanimous towards Mark Marquez. Yeah. He ended a very important day, a very emotional day for Mark in a really bad mm-hmm. way. And he got in a scooter and disappeared off while Mark was still lying in the gravel yeah. trap. And it, it wasn't very nice yeah. how he ended that. It wasn't very, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it felt quite crude. It I, felt quite crude. I, I, I wonder if the, the reasoning was that he went to the pit box to, to have a cry, but, and, and see his team. But I think you're right in I, terms I think of so. priorities. But, but I, I get exactly. it. He did apparently seek out Mark he told us he was going to see yeah, no, no, Mark, Mark afterwards. Mark told ah, okay. told us that yeah that he that was you know the timing of the sessions and how we get the news of the paddock fed in. It's a bit of how the sausage is made sometimes. And, and Mark for did the, his debrief in hospitality, so he's the one guy I didn't talk to today. Hence, Val knowing another what how the sausage is made type of thing. We are you know we are obviously always very concerned for the riders' well being. In any case, we never never ever ever want to see them hurt, want to see them break any bones, bruise themselves, or whatever. It's not what this sport is about to me. It's not what this sport about is, is about to you. But also there was definitely a media-centered white feeling when the crash happened and Mark took off into space and landed quite hard. And it was clearly, you know, like awake and alert, but it, it looked a painful impact. Yeah. There was definitely a media-centered white worry about how he was going to be for his Ducati debut on oh, Tuesday. absolutely. 100%. Was, yeah, people, people were immediately... It probably says something actually about how kind of certain, in hindsight, Bagnaya's title was going into the race. That the immediate concern yeah, was Mark's yeah, test, yeah, and not yeah. the fact that the title had been exactly. decided. You know, I think we all subconsciously knew how the yeah. title was going to be decided, yeah. but we also know that there's a big story coming on Tuesday. Um, yeah, it was. It was. There was. A, a bit of nervousness, but also fair play to MotoGP, who normally aren't this proactive. They were very quick in sort of getting news out of Mark Marquez has gone to the media center. Mark Marquez has left the media yeah. center. Mark Marquez is back in the garage and looking okay. Look, here's Mark Marquez <laughs> waving to the camera to prove he's okay. Please tune in and watch our very important test on Tuesday. They, they, yeah, um, they got that word out pretty quickly with no surprise. Yeah. Should say media center in this case is medical center. I think Simon's uh, is scrambled a, I mean, a little bit. Media center. I'm not in the medical center. This is promising at this point in the year. This is something to be, you know, to applaud. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. With the championship decided, the other big story for today, and a story that honestly 
very quickly took my mind off the championship, especially, you know, being on location is, you know, it's quite different for it when you've, you've been in front of the two guys. Um, let's set the scene, right? So the, some riders come to the media center, some don't. Marco Bezecchi came to the, to the media center today to talk about his race. And we, we, we only sort of, we vaguely knew what happened, I should say. There was, yeah, a, yeah. There was a message on you know on the on the bro- on the broadcast you know he crashed and there was a message on the broadcast that Mark Marquez and Bezeki had been investigated for something. Yeah. Then that they were cleared, and at some point you know I did rewind to look at the helicopter footage and I saw that they came together, but I didn't really. There's just no time to have a properly good look at it. No, not journalists like yeah. we had. But Bezeki came in and. I didn't catch the brand, but he had a beer in his hands oh, for the coming in for the so VR forty six of it, and actually a, an English lager sponsor, right. like a, a sort of craft brewery. It was yeah. one of them. I, I may or may not have yeah. tested this out in the past, hence why I know what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, and I to be fair, I don't know if he hugely partaken by that point or not. I, I can't imagine. I, no, I, I, he was fairly. He yeah. was fairly okay at yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was certainly considerably more sober than say Pekka Bagnaya was by the time he came to the championship <laughs> press conference but that's yeah, yeah. but it was, anyway I'm, I'm sure he would have basically said the, the exact same things sober maybe oh yeah no he would just said the yeah yeah, yeah no he would so yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a collision between Bateki and Marquez coming through turn three on the opening lap Marquez on the inside Bateki on the outside that resulted in Bateki going off at quite a high speed through the gravel, um, he ended up bumping a few parts of his body. He's now now both of his shoulders hurt. So yeah, the one you know, the one that was had the surgery on is the, the right one, the right? right one. And he hurt the yeah. left one and his left today. ankle. Yeah, and and he was he was not happy. <laughs> let's, let's let's put it that way. Um, of the things that Marco Bezzecchi said about the move, for which he totally and completely blamed Mark Marquez, mm-hmm. was a description of him as the dirtiest rider on the grid was a disagreement with how the MotoGP broadcast handled this and certainly how the MotoGP stewards handled this. We can't quote him exactly without getting an explicit rating on this episode, although you've already swore it yeah, at some I point. Have. But anyway, yeah, let's not let's not push the envelope here. Maybe we get a <laughs> PG-13 you know, <laughs> type of thing. Um, he was... He was extremely, extremely unimpressed to the point where it really, it does not take very long to compare it to the famous Argentina Valentino Rossi outburst against Mark Marquez saying that he is destroying the championship. It was, it was that level of aggression and that level of dis- displeasure with one another. And it was also, you know, I asked Marco, you know, you're, you guys are Ducati stablemates next year. Ducati wants its riders to to play nice with one another. That's like the one thing they ask in terms of team orders. They don't do team orders, but they want. And Marco Bezzecchi's answer was, he won't, <laughs> and I won't with him too. <laughs> I think he didn't say with him, but I think that was implied. Oh I don't, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. strongly implied. Yeah. And then, you know, we went to Mark Marquez too, and I, I felt a little bit guilty because it was a very emotional day. He was a you know, Honda Farewell, and he had, you know, he, he took quite a significant knock himself in the end, in the, in the Martin collision. Um, but I, I, yeah, I felt I had to ask, and I was one of the people asking about Bateki. And the the first question wasn't mine, and he answered basically, "I have no, no time for this guy. If you hang it round the outside of turn three, 
this is the kind of thing you could, you can expect if you don't give up. And he's, you know, both Bateki and Marcus said that they've been, you know, the other one has been pushing me off at various points in the season. So there's a, a list of grievances. They apparently spoke before their media sessions at some point in, in the paddock. And it, it does not sound like it was the most cordial conversation, to, to put it mildly. And Marcus said, I have no time for this guy. And when I, when I asked him again about the 2024 factor, Mark was like, again, I have no time for this guy. Which <laughs> I mean, maybe was, again, as in to me, like, don't you understand? I have no time for this guy. <laughs> but also saying it twice, I think, yeah. sends a certain message. I, I went back and had a look at the move mm-hmm. um, over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was a bit of a corner m- speed and media center huddle. Yeah, there was a few of us had to look yeah, over yeah. it. Um, I'm of the impression, I'm of the opinion that it was out of order. I'm with um, you. He, you, you make an overtake when you find a space and exploit it. Yes. And Mark didn't find a space. Mm-hmm. He tried real hard to make one. Yeah. He was offline. He was tighter through that corner than you. Know, you can watch from the helicopter. The whole pack in front of them mm-hmm. are on the exact same line as Bezeki. In fact, Bezeki's a little bit tighter. tighter. Yeah, yeah that's and true. then Mark has just come slamming up the inside. Um, I don't know if he would have made the corner. I think he would have. I'm it, pretty it, sure. He but was late on the brakes. Yeah, he would have been. He would have been in a very different line from everyone else. Um, and then especially into the next corner. Yeah, this if, is. You know, I if, think this is accurate. Yeah, if, but. if he if he hadn't basically used Bezeki as a berm, um, yeah, I think Bezeki had plenty of reason to be angry about it. And in the context of plenty of other moves this year, I think he had plenty of reason to be peeved about it as well the the only incident i can think of that's in any way comparable that wasn't penalized mm-hmm. was uh luca marini and anea bastianini at the very first round of the season which generated considerable headlines demanding to know why Bas- why marini wasn't hit and then since then we've seen things be a lot tighter a lot stricter and you know like brad binder got a penalty in the race for something that was objectively less bad because no one fell off in terms of the outcome yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and was uh, as much of a racing incident yeah. you know i i get racing incidents yeah. i am as you know i'm a, i'm an advocate of allowing mm-hmm. racers to race but i think that that marquez move there was was beyond the pale it was too much in that regard and i can't really believe that the stewards let him aware that i i don't by the Bezeki, they only let him away with mm-hmm. it because it's Mark Marquez line. Because I don't think that inconsistency in yeah, stewarding is something that could be attributed to Mark Marquez's presence. And I don't buy the Dorna we're trying to hide it line. Yeah. Because bad DV direction is pretty much standard in the sport as well at times. Yeah. I, I genuinely think that it was just the circumstances. Yeah. But I understand why he was why he was annoyed at the initial move not being penalized. In, in terms of the T V direction, I just assume, you know, a mandate to focus on the title race and MotoGP races are are, are short. You say so that, we, but we went through a lot of needless replays of true. other stuff later sure. in the race yeah but i yeah i don't i don't buy that it was being concealed particularly i think i find it hard to completely distance myself from the theory that the fact it was marcus's emotional honda farewell didn't mm. have something to do with it because slapping him with a long lap it's you know it's certainly it's a decision you have to make and yeah. it's sometimes maybe it's easier not to make a decision but i have i have no evidence that that's how they they acted and again it's not like 
the Moto, if I MotoGP stewards have not made decisions in the past that I've disagreed with, like this is the first one for either me or you, I'm with you. And you know, listeners will also know that I'm not so much of the racing incident mold. I I see crashes as pretty serious, so my instinct is, you. I think you always have to do an effort to find a guilty party. That doesn't mean racing incidents don't exist, but for me, if there's blame to be apportioned. I want it to be a portion personally. Again, that's you know that's a racing philosophy type thing, not necessarily anything. I th- I see how you could see the the Marquez move on Bezeki as, if not like a hundred percent clean, then legal. But every time I looked at it, I just I always came back to the thought. I don't understand what Bezeki is supposed to do, and I don't think he can react fast enough to avoid what's yeah. coming. So I and I don't think it was his fault, but. Certainly, you know, a lot of discussion, clearly, having watched it the first time, I thought it was, well, not the first time, but like the second time, I was, I felt it was pretty obvious that Mark was in the wrong, but clearly that is not a universally held opinion, so, you know. I mean, I think that this church should have just said it was under investigation, said nothing until after the race, handed Mark a long lap penalty for his next race. And it would have made the Ducati debut in Qatar even more exciting than it's going to be anyway, because I still think he's going to win it by a mile. So um, you know, it would have just spiced things up even more. Screw it. Some some words beyond that on the on Marcus's final round with Honda, which he said he treated like a championship finale, and I believe him. And also, I saw him in in his Sunday session, and he was, you know. There were tears in his eyes. He wasn't actively crying, but he was sort of either preparing to or just hanging on as much as he could. And he sort of acknowledged that he'd already cried during the weekend. So yeah, no, I've I've heard stories about other events yeah. during the weekend where he's been like completely overcome, yeah. unable to speak, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's a huge deal. It's you mm-hmm. know, he's never really known anything else in his adult life apart from being yeah. with his team. Yeah. With his team, not just with Honda, although the Honda factor is clearly yeah. quite important, but also with a specific crew of yeah. people, most of whom do not follow him to Grishini Ducati, as, as people will remember, including crew chief Santi Hernandez, including, obviously, Alberto Puig, who we will get to in a second. And just, you know, to mention, obviously, before how it ended on Sunday with a bang, there was, in a way, a different bang on Saturday. He secured a sprint podium for a bike that just plainly isn't very good yeah and you know was better this weekend but again was better this weekend to the point where poor teammate Juan Mir crashed on Friday and sat out the rest of the weekend ending his I I can't I can't find an adjective that will not give us the the explicit rating ending his quite bad first Honda season Alex Rins on his return also crashed out in the race I like how you just went with quite bad yeah I couldn't yeah you see it's it's yeah, been a while. people who think it's that there's no room day. for swearing in modern language has never seen Joan <laughs> Mir's season because this is what swearing was invented for. It's that bad. Yeah. I feel so sorry for the guy. It's just been horrendous. Um, you were, so you were as angry as Marco Bitecki, I guess, or a lot of other people in the paddock for various reasons during this weekend because it's quite an anger-filled weekend, but you were very angry when learning that Fabio Di Gian Antonio, who finished on the podium after another Fantastic ride. Phenomenal ride. Uh, lost the podium post-race due to a very, very minor tire pressure infringement, marking the first time this season that one of those came to, to change the podium. After yeah. The fact. Yeah. 
um, angry with it for multiple reasons, I should say. Um, one of them is because I hate the fact that we've got to the last round mm-hmm. and then seen this kid robbed of a podium who, you know, said it before, said it last week, going to say it again. My favourite thing of the second half of the season has been watching people who've only ever heard his name before discover that Fabio Di Antonio is a good kid and deserves to be, you know, made a fan of, that people should be a fan of him. Really enjoyed watching people discover, you know, and and he, he backed that up again uh, after the race, whenever someone asked him, you know, was he going to be here on Tuesday? And he was like so quick with the line of, well, if you see a good looking boy riding around having fun on a new motorcycle, it might be me. You know, that is yeah. DJ. He's such a good character. He's so important to have in the sport, I think, going forward. So, what is DJ referring to? Uh, he, he is referring to his now all but confirmed VR46 Ducati ride for next season, which is like possibly the most deserved seat in the grid next year. My God, he deserves a ride next year. So that is so, so good. But but that's something we'll touch on mm. probably not later in this podcast, later in this mm. week. We'll explain that in a bit. Um, the thing that annoyed me the most, though, is that we found out this news five minutes after the podium press conference had finished, which shows as... I don't like this rule. Yes. I don't like this rule. I don't believe it's necessary, and I don't believe it's safe. You're not alone in that. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's 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 not one of my strong yeah, opinions. Yeah. That's one of my opinions based on speaking to the entire MotoGP yeah. grid four times a week. Yes. Um, they hate it, yes. and they don't believe it's safe, which is maybe better to say than what I said, because mm-hmm. that adds more weight to the argument, right? So they don't like it at all. They, they <laughs> really don't like it. But... If you're going to have it for what Michelin deems safety reasons, then you have to make it work. It can't take an hour and a podium and a press conference and a well done mate and that elation to then do this. And it was really bad today discovering like literally like 30 seconds Mm -hmm. after he left the room that DJ had been dropped from second to fourth. It is going to be so much worse next year when that's an instant disqualification with no warnings. They have to have a better system for delivering this super fast after the race. We need to know on the slowing down lap whether or not someone's going to be disqualified. Yeah. And even then, it's not great. Even that, yeah, yeah. Even then, it's not great. I mean, in an ideal world, this should be feeding live data. Yes. And if someone drops, if, you're, if your pressure is low for the first half of the race, you get black flagged. Yeah, that would actually be yes. a better system than this nonsense. But just letting the the yeah, and I I appreciate that the logistics of that are, yeah, yeah, of are, are more complicated than maybe we we make it sound. But this is live sport, and if imagine if you had to wait for ninety seconds after the final whistle of a football match to see, all right, is this the score, or did the team uh, field an ineligible no. player or something? Imagine maybe? if you had to wait an hour yeah, after yeah, the game. That's course. what we've got today. But uh, even for the cool down lap, yeah, like, yeah. It's just, yeah, I, technical and technical disqualifications happen in motorsport, right? This, yes, this is a thing we put up with. This weekend, we've had three warnings in the sprint and two mm-hmm. warnings in the race. Imagine mm-hmm. if <laughs> imagine five if, disqculifications. Yeah. Imagine if there are even time penalties, yeah, not just yeah, exactly. But it happens every weekend. Can't do it. No, it doesn't work. No, and, and you said you said that this is a this is a sport. It's mm-hmm. not. This is an entertainment business, and it's fundamentally mm-hmm. damaging our product yes. and our what we're selling to yes. people. To see this crap. People are rightly furious. Like, I'm furious about this, but I am not the only person tonight when you look online. People yes. are so angry about this. Like the the I, I tweeted to say it had happened. Yeah. And then I posted like ten minutes later mm-hmm. to 
basically express how angry I am. Mm-hmm. And like three times as many people have liked the tweet about how yeah, angry yeah, yeah. I am because people share that sentiment. Yeah. Um, just one more thing, I guess. Remember how we predicted in an earlier episode when Matt asked the question, will there be any non-Ducati winners for the, <laughs> for the rest of the campaign? And we were both like, KTM, specifically Brad Binder, will snipe a win in Valencia during today's Sunday race at one point I turned to you say that um we both I think both of us that's okay that's okay as long as I yeah okay yeah good for me yeah both of us were were in agreement (laughs) on that and I think it has been a good prediction in hindsight but at one point it was looking like a much better prediction I, I turned to you and I said um, well, there's our there's our one KTM win with KTM running one two and Pecco Bagnaia just cruising to the mm-hmm. title. Then Brad Binder went exploring the long lap loop, and then in the same corner, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Jack Miller hit the deck after losing his front tire temperature. After did he explain this publicly or only something I overheard? He, he, no, 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 no. He, um, I, I think you misunderstood what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, yeah, front tire temperature dropped. Just front tire front temperature, temperature dropped. Mm-hmm. And and we spoke to him while we were waiting on him to speak. He was having a hugging it out moment with Alicia Spiro, yeah. and then he spoke, and then Alicia immediately came mm-hmm. and spoke, and Alish actually gave a better kind of better <laughs> description than Jack did where he said when someone asked him about why there was so many crashes yeah. he was like well we're racing at Valencia in basically December which yeah. is completely unacceptable the race started at 3pm yeah. not 2pm to avoid a bit of an F1 clash mm-hmm. Uh, so it was great avoidance, colder. by the way, mm-hmm. because so, the F1 race still finished at the same time. Isn't yeah, it? I think they wanted to avoid the starts clashing specifically. Um, cool. But but Alish was like, well, you know, this is the factors that meant Jack's front temperature dropped. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jack fell mm-hmm. off. But Jack is a professional MotoGP rider who should damn well know better. <laughs> uh, and that's essentially it. Right. Yeah. He shouldn't have done what he did. Yeah. What he did was dumb. What a what a way for for KTM to lose what was looking like an absolutely nailed on first victory of the season. Even though we should say at the end of the race, Binder's pace sort of cratered. So we, yeah, it, we still, I, the longevity still needed to be. I think would have still have won that if it had just been Binder versus. Yeah. Like, d- depending on how, how much he was willing to, to risk an overtake, which probably. Yeah. I, I mean, also there is, you know, I was, I was predicting over and over again that Miller's tires were also going to fall off the cliff because that's what Jack Miller does. Um, man, it's it's tough to like yeah. be a Jack Miller fan because yeah. you want to see him do good and you just know the kind of the inevitable is coming. Um, I was more surprised by the Bender mistake. Yeah, I, I was more surprised to see Bender make an error than I was to see uh, Jack do it because it's, it's not really his style to do dumb yeah. stuff like that. Like, getting a drop one place penalty for a super aggressive overtake afterwards was perfectly on brand for Brad Bender. Mm-hmm. But the initial running wide with no one pressuring him thing was was very uncharacteristic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Aside from all the on-track stuff <laughs> this weekend, there's been, there's been a lot of on-track stuff, but the big story, the big story Mr. Patterson has spent... So much time chasing and a story that we'll touch upon more in the future than now necessarily, also because it's still very much ongoing and because there are things happening behind the scenes that aren't yet necessarily to be talked about, but also just aren't yet fully entirely resolved. But we might just have a new entry in MotoGP in 2024 suddenly at the expense of an existing <laughs> MotoGP entry. Um, so, so let's do the speed run through what's happened. Um, but I will say we will have a new entry in the grid next year. I, I don't think it's it's that questionable anymore. Uh, the RNF Aprilia team have been in financial difficulties for a while, and I've been trying to find a way to write the story, even though I've been quite well informed about it. it it's a touchy subject. It's yeah. people's careers and, and lives and livelihoods, and you want to be right when you do something like that. It all came to a head on like Thursday when someone told me this team is not going to survive this weekend and Razlan Razali is not going to survive this weekend. Um, within kind of 24 hours, we had got a, a really good read that, that Razlan was out, team principal Razlan Razali was out of his, you know, the team that's literally named for his kids. And uh, himself. And himself. Yeah. So th th that happened very suddenly. And then suddenly it, it was the, the Romanian... Uh, 60% owners crypto data who were going to take over um, but they were kind of insisting very loudly and very publicly that they were going to run the team next year without mm -hmm. Rizali mm -hmm. while my resources were saying no no uh, series promoters Dorna are essentially launching a coup they're going to remove these guys from the team and they're going to replace them with uh, really what sounds like a really interesting deal um, from NASCAR team Trackhouse Racing um, which so I've been kind of educating myself on who Trackhouse are this weekend Is somebody helping you educate but there's been weekend? a few people around okay. Okay. Um, but they sound like a super dynamic like mm -hmm. really interesting organization who are now suddenly going to be a factory supported top tier factory team next year in this grid the, the two things you listener may know about Trackhouse may not know is you know, they're a NASCAR Cup team that uh, the famous, if you've ever seen the viral moment of driver Ross Chastain uh, wall riding around the outside at short oval Martinsville to like gain five positions to the checkered flag while wrecking his car to progress in the NASCAR playoffs. That was Trackhouse. And then there were, there's the side project of theirs, Project 91, which is a guest car entry in the Cup Series that ran 
a guy you may have heard of named Kimi Raikkonen, and also ran, ran an Aussie Supercars champion who won on his first appearance. So these guys, these guys know how to promote, and these guys know how to how to compete. But we should say, as it stands, from what we've heard from from crypto data, they disagree with any suggestion that they are in in financial difficulty, and that their entry can go anywhere. So this will probably rumble on for a bit. Yeah, but I've just realized something. I've been on this story all weekend, and it's just when you've said that, that something has really clicked um, that obviously has to happen if they become a MotoGP team. I really don't care what manufacturer of bikes. I don't care that it's Aprilia. Put Valentino Rossi into the NASCAR <laughs> now. Make that happen. They could probably do that. Yeah, yeah that, I think they could, yeah, they could, they could, they could probably that. They could probably swing that. Um, some A suggestion that finally the new Michelin front that you've been crying out for and a lot of people there is at least a plan for its implementation but it's a plan that isn't necessarily the most agreeable right to certain people yeah, right to everyone let's right. be honest to everyone apart from michelin yeah. uh it's coming on tuesday for the the postseason test here yeah. the guys are going to get their first chance to try it it's then also going to come to the uh kind of five kind of eight days of preseason testing where three of it's the shakedown test uh, it's it's going to get tried out extensively there, but Michelin are still only planning to bring it for 2025. Spoke to a few of the writers whenever I got mm. this. I got picked up this little bit of information from a, a good source, got it confirmed by Michelin, and then spoke to a few of the writers about it who, who are all kind of in agreement of let's try and bring this sooner because it fixes these stupid front pressure problems, hopefully. Um, some people kind of suggested, why don't we use it in FP1s going forward? They're not a very useful session anyway. Why don't we try to do whatever we can to give us Michelin as much time using it as possible for the foreseeable future so that we can use it in races as quickly as possible? You know, their timeline now is to to use it for... So what, what have we got between now and the start of the 2025 season? We'll have eight... Eight, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 days of testing, mm -hmm. right? Instead of those 21 days of testing, let's just use it in every FP1 session and, and try and speed up that timeline. Let's bring it midway through next season instead. Let's try and rush the process. Um, there's got to be a way to do it because it, it, it's... It fixes all of my massive rant from earlier in the podcast yeah. about tire pressures yeah. in one move. And there's a there's a real fear that if they if they do push on with the, making the tire pressure breach a disqualification, which was stated as the initial plan, but which honestly, man, I'm a skeptic. I I don't see it after what's been happening this weekend. I don't. They can't do it because half the grid will be disqualified every race. <laughs> you can't do it. It will it will make things unwatchable. And I think there's a an appreciation for that at least. Um, yeah, this is this could be the panacea for that. I don't think we'll get to a situation where half the grid's been disqualified every weekend. I think what we're going to do is that what we're going to see is that teams are going to be some become so cautious mm -hmm. that they're going to start with a higher pressure, and then we're going to see half the grid crashing yeah, every yeah. weekend, and people are going to get hurt in a sport that is already at its probably most dangerous it's been in a decade, two decades. Yeah. So we, we, yeah, it's a mess, and and Michelin need to get their finger out. Another discussion, much for the off season, but yeah, obviously. The injury rate goes on and on and on. Uh, yeah, another two riders absent yeah. from this weekend. Yeah, I think uh, that says a lot. And we've we've not had a full grid that we were 
promised by the entry list this whole season. Nope, um, we have not. But let's let's go to let's go to Alberto Puig and the Honda team boss. Yeah, that he is. It, that and he is for now, but might not be for much longer, because it sounds like David Brivio is coming back, doesn't it? Um, which is great news. Mm-hmm. Um, Honda Honda have been shaking things up management wise. We've seen lots of big changes. We've seen even Mark Marquez conceding that even though he's leaving, he sees the change coming. We've seen Joan Mir back that up by, mm-hmm. by his statements. Obviously, they're actively changing the rider lineup by bringing in Johan Zarco to, to change things up. And things are looking good, promising, different. Uh, but I think the, the addition of Davide Breville would be just super strong. Uh, you would immediately reunite three of the key people from Suzuki's Dream Team Championship winning season because you'd have Mir, Breville, and technical boss Ken Koichi, who's now at Honda. Suzuki knew how to build a Japanese bike with a European ethos, which is exactly what Honda need to be doing right now. And it would be, like, to me, that would be the biggest vote of confidence in Honda that they could possibly make right now would be if they could manage to lure Brevio mm. over from uh, from Alpine F1. Yeah. We should say that at this point from Brevio has been sounded out in the Formula One paddock and made it clear that he remains under contract with Alpine and is comfortable there, which isn't doesn't doesn't mean he's not coming. <laughs> I, I think it's it's hilarious and maybe not entirely accidental that he's basically used the exact same language that Mark Marquez used all the way through denying that he was going to leave Rapso and go to Grassini. It's literally word for word the same language. Speaking of Honda, but not really, um, because we're going into the once Honda target, but not really Ferminaldegare corner of the podcast, which has become a regular thing. I've been now told to to calm down with the Aldegar stuff, and I definitely will at some point. Uh, that's not today, though. That's not today, though, because Fermin Aldegar won the fourth Moto2 race in a row, uh, which is a like some sort of record for the well joint record for the current joint Moto2. record. He matches Tony Elias in the yes. first year of the series. Tony Elias, you know, another performance that is wild and I think it, it sounds like because VR46 is getting to Gian Antonio it sounds like Ducati's wider interest in placing Fermin Aldeguer uh, with a factory contract at Pramac has played a role here and it feels extremely likely that we'll have him on the grid in 2025 which is probably the, the best outcome for everyone a, a satisfying outcome but man he looks good I mean, I think today is the the, le- the least good he's looked out of these four wins, just because he was joined on the the podium by his teammate Lorenzo Lopez, which or Alonso Lopez. Sorry, it's been a long weekend, which um, makes me think that today was the speed up. You know, there's only two speed ups in the grid, and they were both in the podium today. The bike's obviously working really well here, so that that kind of makes me think that that's part of it. But uh, I mean, nothing in racing is a certainty, and he might have a disaster next year. So get that contract signed over the winter for 2025. Um, you know, it's a move that, for example, Jorge Lorenzo did. He was signed for Yamaha MotoGP before he started his final season in 250s. Won the championship, moved up. It's been done before. Why not do it again? It famously also applies to today's champion, Pekka Bagnaia, who was also yeah, signed course. by Ducati a year in advance 
on a two-year deal than had a very sketchy first year at Pramac. Imagine after that first uh, Pramac year of Peco Bagnoles that we'd be here so soon, this early, talking about Peco Bagnoles' second MotoGP title. It, again, Ducati deserves a big pat in the back. They, you know, they have eight bikes and they have the best bike on the grid, but they've also they've identified their guy real early. Yeah, they they stuck by him and he is rewarding them over and over and over again. And yeah, it's, you know, this is what today is again about. It is it is this huge, huge success of Ducati scouting. So if Ducati do want Fermin Aldeguer, and that's that's also a, a vote of confidence for, for Aldeguer. But then again, you don't have to be some sort of scout to see your guy win. Yeah. Like he has been winning. Very true. The test on Tuesday is coming up and we will have a major podcast breakdown after it. And I say breakdown as in we're both going to break down at the oh, end of the I'm season because we're, yeah. I'm very close to it. Let's be honest though, you, you're, you're bringing up the test as if lots of interesting things are going to happen. They're not. Mark Marquez is going to jump into <laughs> Christina Ducati and that's all that anyone's going to care about. Like Maverick Vinales could break the lap record by four seconds and Probably the Marquez will. story yes. will be more interesting. Yeah, I, I, that was that, the name uh, I picked. Out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but the Mark Marquez story is the story. So that's that is actually pretty funny because my my question said with a devious smile was going to be so apart from Mark Marquez on a Ducati, what is the thing you're looking forward to seeing? I'm in not the test? looking forward to seeing anything else because Alex Rins going to Yamaha's interesting, but he's still broken, so there's not much to see there. Uh, I think Pedro Acosta is going to be amazing on a MotoGP bike but probably not on day one of being on a MotoGP bike because he's a bit of a slow learner Um, Zarco on a Honda just doesn't really do it for me because he's going there to be a development rider for the foreseeable future at least Uh, same goes for Luca Marini and basically everyone else who's moving is moving around within the Ducati pecking order and is on various slightly different variations of the bike that they're already on um, I think maybe the only other thing that, that I'm really interested to see is uh, Frankie Morbidelli's Pramac Ducati yeah. debut. And it's, it's oh, it'll be interesting for the first few laps to we see whether or not Frankie's got his mojo back. And then if he does, that'll be like, okay, that's really cool. Let's let's look at that over winter. But Marquez is the story, the yeah. only story. My, my big item of interest beyond Marquez, I should say, is his comrade for much of the season Fabio Quartararo and whether his suggestion that he is more reserved in his expectations for Valencia and is willing to just be content with a gradual not so big step because more has been promised for Sepang I want to see if that if that holds true once he's on the no, bike because he he's young and dumb and Fabio um, he won't be happy at the end of the day that's pretty much the fact that even he's trying to limit his expectations before going to this test means that He's expecting low, you know what I mean? So he's never going to be happy. That's just who he is. But um, the, it'll be possible to get a bit of a read of where Yamaha's at and if things yeah. are, are working. All that is assuming, of course, that Fabio you know, recovers fully and nicely in time for the test because he was riding today with a fever after having begun the day with a fever that he described as being as almost 40 degrees. Just yeah. That's, that's uh, he, looked, he looked rough. He looked yeah. really rough. Um, it's also presuming that there's going to be anyone left in the media center after he came to still do his media debrief and stood next I was, to us. I was going yeah, to get to that exactly. <laughs> I was going to get to that exactly because the, the first, your first feeling, considering how quickly, how closely we huddle over. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe, I, you know maybe we already have it. Do you know what? I'm just <laughs> gonna I'm just gonna tell the story because it's funny and it doesn't really offend anyone. It shouldn't offend anyone. But um, I was standing in the media center waiting for the first writer to appear, and Val came towards me and said, "Hey, Typhoid Mary's here," and I knew exactly who he meant. <laughs> um, apologies to all typhoid sufferers. I think you might be offended by that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's at that point of the year where dark humor is getting us. Yeah. Through. And uh, you know, apologies to Fabio. You're not making light of his condition. He looked rough, and I. Oh I no, hope, he really looked. I hope. Rough. I hope he, he gets. Really looked rough. I hope he gets better sooner. I think he did a great job getting that the bike to eleventh place, despite that. Yeah, he did. But I also, a part of me thinks he would have done a better job staying in bed and recovering. I, it, it should <laughs> also. We should also say he was riding a really good. He made the best Yamaha start of the season in the sprint race on Saturday until he crashed. Yeah. So it, it was. It was good. It was yeah. a good weekend, and it's a good base to build on into the Tuesday test. So now that, that you've all heard that I'm a heartless bastard, this is where we're going to cut There's off. There's the exploitive rating. <laughs> we're going to cut off bastard exploitive. You, you've, used, you've used a much worse word earlier. <laughs> but yeah, this was where we'll cut ourselves off for the final post-race podcast of the season. But of course, as, I, as I've mentioned already, we will have the post-test podcast that I will not be surprised if he's if it's equally as long. And if that's if that's if that's way too much for you, we genuinely apologize. But there's you know there's still stuff we've cut out of this yeah, discussion. Yeah, there is. This there has is. been. I mean, there's an probably there's weekend. a full, based based yeah. on the fact that I've been at the center of the storm. There's a full RNF podcast to come. There's a full satellite Aprilia team podcast to come. Yeah, so we need to <laughs> we need to somehow recover in like ten minutes and plan out everything we're doing. Um, your regular host Matt Beer should hopefully be back for the for the Tuesday edition, and it it should all be as normal, and it'll maybe be a bit more formal and as you're used to than this sort of fireside <laughs> media center chat. But we should be allowed to be together. I think <laughs> it's the, the moral of the story. Uh, thank you for listening along. If you've been listening along after. If, all the post-race podcasts thank you some of them thank you if this is your first one thank you thank you very much for caring what we have to say about things and listening to mostly my terrible jokes but also sometimes simon's terrible (laughs) jokes but mostly mine i try to maintain a monopoly on that and we will see you this week The Athletic.